Good morning to you and Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, this is the first day of the year 2017. <laughs> how can it be? Don't you wonder how we got here at this point? And I don't know about you, but I, I welcome the new year and I am thankful that 2016 is behind us. Can I get an amen to that? <clears throat> I have noticed something that seems to happen as we move from one calendar year to the next, uh, at least it's happened the last couple of years or so, and that is, as I reach the end of the previous year, the last quarter or so of the year, it's like there's a phrase that comes to my mind that seems to be um, a direction setter, at least for me, if not for us as a church, as we go forward. For last year, I don't know that I expect you to remember it, but it was strong in passion, firm in faith. Say that with me, strong in passion, firm in faith. The Lord seemed to be calling us to, to keep the fire of our passion red hot for Him as we went through the year and not to waver um, in our abiding faith in Him. Well, again, I don't go looking for this. I don't necessarily even think about it until it just kind of hits me, but it's happened again this year. There's been a phrase that's come to my mind, and it just keeps reoccurring and coming and coming again, not necessarily triggered by anything, but the Lord is really pressed in on me with the phrase for this coming year. And I think it's something that helps set the tone uh, for the year. And it is, here's what I'm hearing, higher heights and deeper depths. Say that with me, higher heights. I think a good scriptural reference for it would be this from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, beginning the last part of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. How many of you join me in saying I'm ready for higher heights in worship? Let me see your hand if that's true for you. And deeper depths in the word of God. Can you just say amen to that today? Well, with that in mind, let me talk about what Josh just mentioned to go uh, this coming week. Starting tomorrow and going through this coming Saturday, we are once again calling for a week of consecration where we are calling the church to a church-wide fast for this one week. And again, we don't try to influence the method of fasting for you. You need to do that which is appropriate for you. I, there's all kinds of things took place last year. Some people observed the Daniel fast. I hear a lot about that. Some people uh, do a, literally a complete fast. Some people will fast one meal per day. I even heard of some people last year saying that they fasted social media for a week, and that was, that was harder to give up than food for some folks. Well, the method is up to you, but the appeal from us for the next six days is that you refrain from partaking in something that would normally be part of your routine and, and what you do, but as you do it, it's not just a matter of stop doing something, but you're doing it as unto the Lord. There's a difference. You're doing it as unto the Lord, and you're making a sacrifice for the purposes of drawing nearer to Him as we begin our year of higher heights and deeper depths. Also, I, I know it's the new year, and there's a lot of renewing and realigning, but this is the perfect time to fortify your time in the Word, your Bible reading, and uh, there's plenty of plans out there that are available on the... Um, on the internet that you can find all kinds of Bible reading plans. And also fortify, I encourage you to fortify your devotional reading. I run into folks all the time and I say, so what are you reading devotionally? Well, I'm, I'm not. Well, 
let me just encourage you to do that. There are wonderful devotional helps that are out there. I have a couple of favorites. I always love My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Another favorite of mine I've been enjoying the last few months is My Daily Pursuit by A.W. Tozier. Phenomenal, phenomenal. They're short. They don't take a lot of time, but there's always something meaty in there that can, uh, that can really help your day, and you'll be astonished to find out how applicable it is to your situation and where you are in life or, or whatever is happening because the Lord has a way of knowing that about you. And so prayer guides, as mentioned, are also available on the connection desks and, um, and I think on the app and the website as well. So why do we do it this week? Why don't we just pick a, a week in July or September? Why do we do it this week? Well, it's the first week of the year. And it's also this time that it, that it sets the tone for the year. And it's the perfect time to uh, reestablish healthy spiritual habits like we just talked about. And it, in a sense, it is offering, and Pastor Brent referred to this a second ago, it's offering first fruits to the Lord. Now, first fruits, maybe you know what that means and maybe you don't. And I, I know that we live under grace and not under the Old Testament law, but there was an Old Testament principle that established the significance of giving the first of whatever you had to offer to the Lord. It's the first of it. That's why when we bring our tithe, we bring it to the storehouse. We're commanded to do that, and you, and you do it because you, you bring the first of what you have, of what God has given to you. In, this, in the Old Testament, they gave the first fruit of the harvest. They gave the firstborn livestock on the appropriate day. They gave their firstborn son. You can all find all that in the book of Exodus chapter 22. But not only in the Old Testament, it carries forward into the, the New Testament as well. If you check out James 1.18, it indicates that believers, that's you and me, are a kind of first fruit of God's creatures. 1 Corinthians 15 will tell you that Christ is the first fruit of all those who rise from the dead. But probably the one that gets my attention the most and, and applies to our situation this week the most would be where Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, he's, he's speaking of, of, uh, of the dough for bread, that's the metaphor that he's using, and also the other one is roots of trees, when he says this, for if the first fruit is holy, he's talking about the, 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 the first of the dough, if the first fruit is holy, the lump of, of all of it is also holy. And then he switches to the other metaphor. And if the root of the tree is holy, then so are the branches. The implication to me is this, that if the genesis or, or the beginning uh, of what you are offering, if, if that is sacred to God and therewith holy, then that which follows will be holy as well. How many of you say, I want not only my first week of this year to be consecrated to God, I need the whole year to be consecrated to God. Is that true for anybody? So based on the scriptural principle, we're calling, I'm calling on all of us to consecrate. I'm asking you to join me in consecrating our first week to the Lord by way of a fast of your choosing, by giving yourself to devotional reading, the reading of the Word, and certainly by prayer. And the church said, and the church said, so we call this week consecration. What does consecrate mean? The simplest definition is this. It's setting apart for God's use. Say that with me. Setting, setting apart 
or God's use. It's one of those um, maybe religious sounding words that we've thrown around a lot if you were raised in church. And if not, maybe it's the first time you're, you're hearing the word. That's okay. But there have been a couple of words that sometimes we have tended to confuse. We have confused consecration with sanctification. But the best way to keep those two words straight is to remember this. Consecration, or being dedicated to God's service or His use, as we just said, consecration is our part. Sanctification, being set apart from sin and being made holy, that's God's part. Consecration is our part. Sanctification is God's part. Consecration. I want to just talk to you a little bit about that this morning. Some people consider water baptism to be a form of consecration, uh, being set apart for God's use. When Christ was baptized by John, Jesus uh, clearly indicated that the purpose of his baptism was to fulfill all righteousness, which was to demonstrate his consecration to the heavenly Father. If you, for whatever reason, have not been water baptized, I, can't not, I cannot encourage you strongly enough to do that. If you have been saved, if the Lord has redeemed you, you are born again by the Spirit of God, you need to be baptized. The, the, uh, the Bible says repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. So you can see any of the pastors and we can get that scheduled for you. And we would love to uh, have the privilege of baptizing you if that has not happened for you. Consecration. I keep thinking, how do, I, how do we talk about this? If we're calling for a week of consecration, how, how, do, how do I speak of it to the church that we can wrap our brains around? It's just not this word that, that we float around in church. Well, I, I found something from William Barclay, one of my uh, a favorite Bible commentator of mine. He gave an example, and he, and he says it this way, and I'm going to get a chance to blow this up for you in just a second. He says this. He says that the sign of true consecration is when a man can find glory in drudgery. The sign of true consecration is when a man can find glory in drudgery. What does that mean? That means if you are set apart for God's purposes, God's use, God's service, and you have consecrated yourself unto God, that means that no task is too large or too small for you. No task is beneath you. No task is too menial. Nothing is, there's nothing that would keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Now, if you do any um, research or looking into this word consecration, you're going to find that uh, there was a lot to be said about it with the Old Testament priests. And again, thankfully, we're under grace and not under the law, but the priests took a Nazarite vow as an adult, consecrating themselves to God, and the list of requirements, and you can go check it out in Numbers chapter 6, if you want to do a more thorough study of it, the list of requirements was extremely extensive of what they had to do to come to a place of consecration, what they could do, what they could not do. And then upon completion of the season of consecration, requirements for bringing their offering to the Lord had lots of, of stipulations to that as well. Now, let me say this to you this morning. I understand that you might prefer that I bring a message which helps you address the needs of, the, of your life that you've walked in the door with today. And I want you to know, as your pastor, I always have a sensitivity 
to that. And I know that some of you are facing extremely critical needs. And every one of us have walked into the house today with some kind of need. It may be physical, it could be emotional, it could be relational, it could be financial. And most of us prefer to hear a sermon where the word is brought to us. You've heard me talk about this before. Where the word is brought to us to bring us comfort, to bring us peace, to uh, give us encouragement, to warm our hearts, and to give us faith to go on. We prefer those kinds of messages, and I prefer to give them, to be honest. But this morning, I'm asking something of you. I'm asking you to come to the Word and listen to me for just a few moments, not on the basis of your need. If you could, for the next few minutes, just set that aside and go with me, um, even though your need I know is possibly very, very great. And I want you to know at the end of the service today, we are going to ask the prayer team to come and they are going to be willing to anoint you with oil and pray for you for whatever the need is that you've walked into the house today. I felt so prompted of the Lord yesterday that we should do that specifically today. Because what I'm going to talk to you about is I'm, I'm asking you not to listen to this message on the basis of, of your need today. But on the basis, hear me, of your desire as a believer for you to be all that you can be for the cause of Christ. And I choose to believe in the integrity, I do believe in the integrity of this fellowship. That you really want to serve God with all that you are. I know we're all in different places in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual walk. But I'm speaking to you and appealing to you, to those of you who truly want to be all that you can be for the cause of Christ. In other words, I'm calling you, I'm imploring you to enter with me into a season of consecration, to be set apart for God's use and dedicated to God's service. I always have a song. As I was working through this, the song that came to my mind was this. To be, it's an old, old, old song. I, you know, all I know is mostly old songs. You know, there's a, probably a reason for that. To be used of God to sing, to speak, to play, to pray. I played the piano, to, to pray. To be used of God to show someone the way. I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire. Oh, we sang it passionately. To be used of God is my desire. And I believe that is bedrock within all of us who have experienced the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. To want to be used of the Lord. It's something that seems to happen automatically. Once we give our life to Jesus, we want to do something for Him. And that's what we're called to do. Uh, Last week, I believe it was. Theda, was it last week that we had Moselle's service here? Theda's sister, Moselle uh, Lanier, passed away and we conducted her service last week. And about two weeks before she died, I visited her in the hospital over in Dallas. And I was so struck by the fact that whether or not she knew exactly how long she had to live, I don't know. I don't know how much she knew at that moment of where she was physically and, and how long it was going to be. But as I talked with her, first of all, I was very struck by her gratitude the openness and softness of her heart, and she kept saying this, Pastor, I just know that God is going to use me. And the way she said it, it's just one of those moments when somebody says that something that rivets your heart, and the way she said it, it so struck a chord with me because I thought that's what all of us long to do as believers, to be used of God, to sing, to speak, to pray, as the song said. 
It so impressed me that even in her final moments of life, as she was determined to finish strong, as we said at her memorial service, she said, Pastor, I just know that God is going to use me, and I want to be used of God. Without a doubt, church, as we go into this week of consecration, it's about asking Him for cleansing. It's about asking, to, asking Him to keep our hearts pure before Him. And it's about setting our course, the course for, for the year, to be a people who will live holy lives. Holy lives. Holiness. Seems to me that when I look around, we hear a lot more in church about making people happy than we do making people holy. How, do, how many of you know God is much more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness? Are you with me this morning? Being a holy people. God has called us to be a holy people. Well, but Dan, this is 2017. You know, we, you know, it's a different day. But I tell you this, church, the word of God has not changed. It is uncompromising. And God has called us to be a holy people. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul spends the first part of the book telling us how we are saved, telling us what we are saved from, telling us what salvation has done for us. However, in chapters 9 through 11, he, he takes a bit of a break. Uh, he focuses for those few chapters on uh, salvation in the Jewish people. But he comes back and it comes back to this uh, original theme when he gets to chapter 12. And he returns to the main idea of what he's trying to communicate. And then in this last section uh, from chapter 12 forward, Paul focuses his shift to some very practical matters. And he, he discusses things and makes it uh, very down to earth for us. He's talking about everyday living in this world. And in my time that remains, I want us to take the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. If you want to turn there in your Bibles with me. Romans chapter 12. And he gives us insight into an area of our walk with God that we must never, ever overlook. Because these two verses clearly give us the secret of holy living. This is the passage where Paul tells us what God expects of us. Don't you sometimes wonder, God, what are you, what are you expecting of me? What is it you're requiring of me? And then how we are to achieve his goals for our lives. He tells us that holy living revolves around the surrender to three powerful concerns. And I want us to see what they are and what they demand as we consider the thought it's what I've titled this message this morning, Consecrated to God. Let me read it. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be, what? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, add your blessing to the reading of your word today. And I'm asking for your help today to communicate what I feel you have for this fellowship today. Would you help us, Lord Jesus? Help me to speak and help the church to listen. In Jesus' name. Notice the wording of verse 1. Paul tells us, that yielding our bodies to the Lord is our reasonable 
service, our reasonable service. Now, the word reasonable comes from the same word from which we get our word logic. So the first thing we see is that yielding our bodies to the Lord is logical. And then the word service comes from a word which means to perform sacred service. If you, if you dig into the word as given in Scripture, it means to perform sacred service. It has reference to the function that the Levites performed in the tabernacle and in the temple. And it is connected to the idea of worship. When you put it all together... You see that the phrase means that yielding our bodies to the Lord is our logical service of worship before the Lord. And if you are saying you want to go to higher heights in your worship, as we just said a while ago, then we have the instructions right here, and that is when we are totally yielded to Him. Say totally yielded. Totally yielded to Him. It is the highest form of worship that we can render being totally yielded to God. Nothing says, I love you to the Lord. Nothing says, I worship you, almighty God, like a consecrated, dedicated, holy life. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, then obey my commandments. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So what does Paul mean when he says, and he calls us to yield our bodies? Let's look at what he says. He uses the phrase to present our bodies. Present. What does that mean? It means to place at one's disposal. It means that we are no longer holding anything back from God. That we are completely available to Him. And that we have placed our all on His altar and that we are completely at His disposal. It is total surrender to God. There are plenty of people, folks, who want to be saved. They want to avoid hell. They want the fire insurance. But they are not willing to lay everything on the altar. I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything, even as I'm speaking, just say to the Lord, whisper in your own heart, Lord, what is it that I have held back from you? What is it? Have I, is it? Is it my finances? Have I not given you total control? Is it, um, is it my marriage? What is it that I've said, Lord, you can have this and I can go to church and passionately worship you and, and I'm, I'm thankful for all that you do and I want all the blessings, but I hold on to this part. I, 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 this, I'm going to handle this. I've got this, Lord. I need you to handle this. Here's my problems and the things, my issues and my prayer requests. I need you to handle that. I'll take care of this. But that's not what Paul says here. No, we're to present everything totally surrendered to God. He wants it all. When he says present your body, that word present also, the tense that is given as I explore this in my own study, it suggests a one-time-for-all-time action. We don't just present our bodies to God and then take it back. Lord, yeah, oh, when things are in trouble, here, I present it to you. But then once I get past that, well, I'm going to take that back. No, the way the word is given, as we're told by the apostle here, it is a, a one-time-for-all-time action. We present it and we leave it there on the altar. When we have given it to him... When you have given yourself and all that you are to Him, it is His forever. 
We sing it all the time. I love you forever with all my heart and forever you're my king. How many are glad you belong to him today? All right, notice the phrase. Therefore, by the mercies of God. What is it that would allow God to think that he could even require this level of commitment from us? He wants everything? Absolute control over every, yes. What would make him think he could require that of us? What would make him think that he could control every aspect of our lives? Well, there's a very simple answer for that. It's because, dear friend, he bought you at Calvary. And you belong to him. You are his to command. How many are thankful that you've experienced his salvation and that he went to Calvary for you? Come on, say amen to that today. We are to be subject to His commands, regardless of what they are. Even the ones we try to dismiss in our own mind, we're subject to His commands. In church, when we listen to this, when we hear this phrase, by the mercies of God, let me tell you the thought that that ought to bring up in our minds. You ought to be reminded by that phrase where you were before Jesus saved you. How many know that before He saved you, you were lost? You were bound for hell. What, that's a word we don't use too often in church anymore, but it's true. You were bound for hell, for eternity. But even when you were in, uh, in opposition to God, when you were his enemy, he still came and loved you and died for you. When you were his enemy, he died to save you, and then he convicted you, and then he called you, and then he gave you the faith to believe, and then he saved you by his grace. Somebody ought to say hallelujah to that today. And so there's only one response when we think of that, this phrase, by the mercies of God that we present our body. There's only one response, and that is this. We owe him everything. We owe him everything. May we, like Paul, ever be aware of the fact, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, he says in 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. May that teach us why God has the right to issue any command to us that he may wish to do. Consecration. Giving yourself to God's service wholly and completely. Oh, I love to hear his voice. My mother-in-law used to sing this. Saying, you belong to me. You are not your own. With a price You're bought, and you're mine eternally. I love to hear him say, I have saved you by my grace. And when I get to heaven, it will then be grander still, for I shall see his face. There are appropriate responses, church, to the understanding of this verse. Let it always be said that we know the right thing to say is this. Yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. When was the last time you uttered that to the Lord? Lord, here am I. Send me. Some people say, oh, I don't want to go to Africa. He may not be calling you to Africa. He may be calling you to Burleson. I don't know. But our posturing, our realigning of ourselves as we go into a week of consecration is to say, Lord, I know what the journey has been thus far. I know how you've seen me through thus far. What is the assignment for this year? 
For where you lead, I will follow. Because I am yours to command where you lead me. Verse 1 tells us that these bodies are to be presented a living sacrifice. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? In fact, it sounds painful because we know that in sacrifice in Bible times was an animal that belonged to the person who was offering it. That animal was put to death, its blood was shed, and its flesh was burned on an altar. Doesn't sound like anything any of us would sign up for today, does it? But there's a difference between what the Lord is calling us to do and what He called the people in the Old Testament to do, and it's this. Their sacrifice was to die. Our sacrifice is to live. Let me say that again. I want that to sink in. Get off your cell phone. Listen to me. Come on. Their sacrifice was to die, but our sacrifice is to to live. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now, while it's true that their sacrifice was different than ours, there are similarities. Because just as then, the sacrifice the Lord is commanding of each of us is costly, it's painful, it's difficult, it's personal, and it's necessary. Basically, God is commanding every one of His people to lay the totality of who they are on the altar of sacrifice. But at the same time, this sacrifice must, must continue to function in the world we live in. You know, I'm, we're not saying that we're called to be something that is completely, uh, can't even function in this world. No, we have to continue to function in this world. What's the scripture? We are in the world, but not of it. In the world, but not of it. The difference is, it's just like they say of the ship. The ship is in the water. But if the water gets in the ship, you got a problem. That's the difference of being in the world but not of it. Well, the idea of this living sacrifice presents four quick ideas. Number one, a living sacrifice means that we are to be on the altar wherever we are, regardless of your geographical surroundings, whether you're in Texas or New York or Florida or California, you are on the altar when you are consecrated to God. You might be on vacation, but you're on the altar. You might be at the workplace, but you are on the altar. Students, you may be in school, but you are on the altar. Are you with me this morning? And we are to remember that this body and all that it is belongs to God when we have laid it on the altar. There is never an instant in life when we are out of His view or simply free to live as we would, as we would choose. Living sacrifice means we're to be on the altar wherever we are. Living sacrifice means a constant continuing sacrifice. It's just not something we do occasionally, not just something we do when we come to church, not something we do uh, every once in a while. We are to offer this body up to the Lord and never ask for it back again. Number three, a living sacrifice means that the body sacrifices its own desires for the desires of God. We don't live for the world, the flesh, or the devil. How many know that's true? We don't live for the world. We don't live for the flesh. We don't live for the devil. But that everything the body does is held accountable to the guidelines of the Word of God. Are you having fun yet this morning? Number four, living sacrifice means that the body is devoted to the task of serving God. It means that we lay down the ambitions and desires of the body and commit ourselves to doing nothing 
but that which God bids us, to, bids us to do. We are to be his vessels through which he can work and live. Consecration. Set apart for his use. Not something you just do when you think about it. Not something you just do in church. When you are consecrated to God, every action and every activity that the body engages in is an activity that glorifies and honors the Lord. And the sacrificed body sees itself as the temple of God. How many, how many of you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are His to command. Number two. Paul moves from dealing with the body in these two verses to dealing with the mind which we know is the root of all of our problems anyway. When we can get the mind to think as it should, how many of you know the body will follow as it should? The problem isn't typically the body, the problem is the mind. Can I get an amen to that? And in this matter of um, conquering the mind, there's a couple of steps that should be taken. We are commanded to be not conformed to this world. The word conform means to fashion or to shape, or it literally means to mold. And how many times did we hear Pastor Des says, say, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Have you felt the squeeze? I have. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. In the way we talk, in the way we think, in the way we treat each other. The world's plan for you and God's plan for you are vastly different. If you want to know what the world's plan for you is, then check out Galatians chapter 5. Let me remind you what the world's plan. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's the truth, church. It's the Bible. But we are to avoid being squeezed into the world's mold. We are called to be different, and we not only are called to be different, we must remain different. And we are commanded to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The word transformed is where we get our word metamorphosis. It's what a caterpillar goes through. It's the best example to become a butterfly. What happens when the caterpillar enters the cocoon and later emerges is that that part of the insect that resides on the inside is allowed to be made manifest on the outside. And that's exactly the change that God is wanting to effect in each of us. Each of us. Because you see, He moved into our hearts when He saved us. He transformed our spirit and He changed us into His child. And now He wants to then transform the mind, the soulish part of man, so that the flesh then might be changed. And don't ever forget that this flesh will do what the mind tells it to do. It's only when the mind is changed and brought under the power of God that the flesh can be brought under control. Okay, well, Dan, how is that accomplished? Well, I'm glad you asked me. It's accomplished by surrendering your will to God. I have to give up my will? Uh-huh. Surrendering your will to God by filling the mind with the Word of God, by ordering one's life after the teachings and commands of God, 
by cutting oneself off from the influences of the world, by allowing the Spirit of God to control your mind. How is your mind transformed? I just told you. Now, not everyone's mind works the same way. Have you noticed that? Let me give you three types, and you quietly figure out which one you are. Okay, there's three. There's the sensual, there's the soulish, and there's the spiritual. Let's figure out, how many of you already decided you're the spiritual one? Come on, let me see your hand. You've already decided that. The sensual, the soulish, and the spiritual. The sensual. These are people who are ruled by their senses. They're ruled by the physical world around them. They live by their senses. Everything for them comes down to how they feel, what they see, how they are affected, what they want, what they hear. They may be saved, but the reality of it is those folks are living far below their potential. Now, I know we don't have any of those here today, so you can toss that off if you want to because we don't have any of those. Then there's the soulish. These people are those who are ruled by their intellect, their will, and their emotions. And they're a little harder to spot than, than the sensual people. In fact, there's, a, there's actually a fine line between the soulish person and the truly spiritual person. But hear me. To be intellectual, emotional, or to possess a strong will is not necessarily to be spiritual. Let me show you. The intellectual person may have a mind that knows the Bible backwards and forwards. They might be a walking concordance, but that does not necessarily mean that they are a spiritual person. I know some folks like that, and you probably do too. Because to know the letter of the Word is far different from living out the spirit of the Word. Can you say amen to that? And the mind of the emotional person may shout and cry in the services. They love to do that. They lift their hands and praise to the Lord. Those are terrific things. We all want to be engaged in worship, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are spiritual in nature. Very often, they are merely actions of their emotions with no spiritual implication whatsoever. The same person who can shout in church on Sunday may be in the valley on Wednesday. But here's what I'm going to say to you. If he were genuinely spiritual, he could shout in either place. Did you get that? All right. Now the mind of the willful character. Let's say when he gets saved and he decides to stop smoking. He may be able to throw down the tobacco habit and walk away from it, and that's a great thing. I highly recommend it. But it is not necessarily a spiritual victory. It may just be the exercise of a very strong will. So we have the mind of the sensual person, the mind of the soulish person, and there's the mind of the spiritual person. These are people, the spiritual people, are under the control of the Holy Spirit. He controls their thinking. He controls their actions. He controls their speech because He rules their life. He has been given total control And they have no life except that which He gives them. And this is God's will for every believer. I reference Ephesians chapter 5. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit today? It is Paul's statement that the mind must be renewed. And the only way that is possible is by transforming it through the Word of God. Having 
told us that the secret to a holy life revolves around worshiping God through the sacrifice of our body and through developing the mind of Christ in each of us. Paul finishes, as I'm going to finish now, verse 2 by telling us that accomplishing these things in our lives will enable us to carry, carry out God's will for our lives in a way that honors him. God's will. How many of you have ever prayed the prayer, Lord, let me know your will? Let me see your hand. You've ever prayed that prayer. God, I want to know your will. Don't you, as you face 2017, don't you want to know the will of God for your life? Don't you want to be sure that you are walking in his will? Well, that's what consecration is all about. That's why we're calling on you to participate with us this week in consecration. As we yield our bodies and our minds to him, his will then becomes more clear and more important to us as we go through that process of consecration. Pastor Brennan, if you'll come. God's will, church, is precious. It is precious. Whatever the Lord may ask of you, you will find that in the end, it is good. There is, he will never ask you to do anything that is not for your eternal good. And therefore, listen to me, you need not fear the will of God. I know people who do. They fear the will of God. Because God might ask something of me that is uncomfortable for me or that I don't want to do. God's will is pleasant. He will make us willing to do His will in that we will find it pleasantness. And the demands may change throughout life. I'm going to tell you, when I was 57 years of age, I thought I knew what the plan was going to be from this, from this point forward. It was five and a half years ago. No, it turned out much different. God said, no, you're going to become the pastor of Bethesda Community Church. The plan changed. How many of you ever had a dramatic change in your life that you weren't expecting? Let me see your hand. But you know what? God's will is pleasant. Though the demands of life may change, He is equipping you and making you ready by the experiences through which He's taking you. You may not like to hear that, but that's true. Why is all this happening to me? God is equipping you and making you ready. But here's what you can be assured of. He will never lead you to a place that you are not ready to go. You may not feel you're ready, but God is the one who knows when you are ready. When He reveals His will, it's because He is assured that He has made you ready. And when He shows you His will, church, then it's time for you to march forward without hesitation, without question. God, this is your will, and you go forward. I don't know who this is speaking to today, but I pray you'll receive it in Jesus' name. God's will is perfect. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. For He sees the end from the beginning. He knows before you even start on the journey what the end is going to be. He knows the path that you will take. He knows the obstacles that you are going to experience along the way. Oh, I'm so thankful that He knows because He also knows the valleys that you will pass through as you go. But most of all, He knows where the provisions are that He has already placed along the way for you. And He knows the grace that He is giving you for the path that He's chosen. You can be in no better place than the perfect will of God for your life, which is why you need to bring yourself to a season of consecration. By yielding your body, your mind to God, he closes out these two verses by saying you'll be able to prove or live out that good and acceptable and perfect will of God to the world. 
be able to prove the will of God to the world. And the results will be astonishing. And you, dear friend, will then become proof positive to a doubting world that God can take the worst and make the best out of it. God can take the worst and make the best out of it. And then we will finally be salt and light as we have been commanded to be. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Bethesda, it is time for us to become a consecrated fellowship. I know we or many of you are praying that God will move upon us we want His Spirit to move over us. We need Him. I pray regularly that He will not lift His hand from us because it is clear His hand has been on this fellowship for a long time. We need His presence. But there's something we need to do, and that is we need to come into this new year ready to give ourselves wholly to Him. And if you're in agreement with that, I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now, please.